Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking with just a little flight information. We're flying at an altitude of 37,000 feet and our airspeed is 400 miles an hour. A couple little facts here, I'm packing a Colt King Cobra, that's a 357 caliber firearm with a black rubber grip and a six inch barrel, capable of piercing body armor at a distance of up to 27 feet. And I can put a hole in human bone and flesh the size of the Grand Canyon, which, by the way, is coming up on the left-hand side of the plane. So just sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the flight. No, not you, not you. Your organization's terrible. Should I tell you? Should I tell you? Oh, you Boy Scouts, but you know life, you know life. You know I'm totally off script right now. On Monday, the future of journalism went on trial in the form of a resumed extradition hearing from WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. This hearing is the latest in a U.S. effort to punish Assange for revealing American war crimes in Iraq and Afghanistan. Assange has spent more than a year in England's Belmarsh prison with little access to his legal team and reports surfacing that he has been subjected to psychological torture. Though the hearing is being held for Assange, this is not just about one man. Press freedom groups, such as Reporters Without Borders and Human Rights Watch, have been sounding the alarm that if he is extradited, it would set a dangerous precedent for press freedom. Now, the hearing has begun, and it looks to be a perfect example of kangaroo court. Forty different non-governmental organizations, including the well-established Amnesty International, have had their access to the trial revoked. Assange is just now seeing his lawyer for the first time in six months, and reporting from the scene by journalist Kevin Gastola has exposed many cases in which the judge overseeing the hearings is very blatantly siding with the prosecution. Of course, none of this seems to be causing much of a stir in the larger journalism community. The lack of solidarity is perhaps best described by The Intercept's Glenn Greenwald, who writes, The greatest threat to press freedom since 2016, the ongoing attempt by DOJ to extradite Assange in connection with publishing documents, is underway in the UK and U.S. journalists who spent four years flamboyantly depicting themselves as free press warriors are largely silent. Trump posting mean tweets about Wolf Blitzer or Chuck Todd or insulting Jim Acosta is not a threat to press freedom. Criminalizing working with sources to reveal what the U.S. government is doing, the heart of the Assange prosecution, is a profound threat. Many people hesitant to speak on the Assange issue would argue that in America, it is expected of journalists to not take up the mantle of activism. However, this ignores many cases in which the press had no problem speaking up. For example, in 2018, when the New York Times led an effort of 300 papers to publish criticisms of Donald Trump's labeling of fake news. Of course, Trump's labeling of fake news is a threat to journalism that people should speak out against, but the fact that they can do this and then not speak on Assange shows the hypocrisy of the claims that journalists need to maintain objectivity and not speak on Assange for that reason. Let's also not act like it isn't commonplace for anyone hosting a show on cable news to be very open about their views on Twitter 
when it's not a topic that would expose U.S. government war crimes and the media's complacency. It is very possible that the lack of coverage and the misreporting of a lot of events has caused some people in the press to genuinely not know how to speak out, and that is what this episode of News Dive is for. Assuming that there are journalists out there who are not as familiar with the Assange case, but genuinely do care about the future of press freedom, this episode will look at how we got here and why it's such a problem. The Assange story is a long and complicated one, but it is also an essential one for any journalist to follow, and even, yes, share their opinion on. This is because if Assange is extradited, every single one of us will lose key freedoms that we rely on for ethical reporting. In this episode, I'm joined by political writer and free press activist Jim Cavanaugh, a member of NYC Free Assange, who provides much of the background to the story and why it poses such a threat to journalism. As always, please also follow Newsdive and share our reporting. We are at Newsdive Radio on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to all our episodes on anchor.fm slash newsdive and subscribe to us by searching Newsdive on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcasting platform. With that, here's a conversation on Assange with Jim Cavanaugh. Hey, Newsdive listeners, it's Sam Carliner, and I am joined by Jim Cavanaugh, a member of New York City Free Assange a political writer, and we're going to be talking about what I think is the most important story out there right now, which is the restart of the Assange hearings. So, Jim, thank you for being here to talk about this. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. I've been a member of the uh, small core group of, we call ourselves NYC Free Assange, and until the pandemic, we were demonstrating weekly at various places in New York City, related to the Assange case, the British consulate, the New York Times building. Uh, we've had some speak-ins at Washington Square Park and Union Square Park. And we are going to have a couple of demonstrations at a speak-in at Washington Square Park on uh, Monday, the 7th, which is the day that the Assange hearing is held, and on Tuesday, September 8th, in front of the British consulate. And you can find information about NYC Free Assange on Facebook. There's a group called NYC Free Assange. You can look it up on Facebook or, or Twitter. Myself, I am a political blogger and publisher. I publish a couple of articles about Julian Assange on my my blog, thepolemicist.net, and uh, on Counterpunch. And, you know, I've been involved in the cause for a couple of years now. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate that because this has been going on for like a decade now. And I myself, I was a child when, you know, the story really started. It was only when uh, Assange was arrested from the Ecuadorian embassy that I started getting more involved. And it's, it's not the easiest thing to backtrack when you're jumping towards sort of the more recent stuff. So I'm hoping without getting like too too bogged down in the details if you could maybe give our listeners who may not know about this some of the more important background info well julian assange yeah is the founder of wikileaks an organization which was dedicated is still working and dedicated to taking information that 
that leakers and whistleblowers want to give about various governments around the world. As, as Assange has said, you know, most wars, all wars really are based on lies. And if we know the truth, <laughs> it'd be harder to get people to go to war. So uh, the dedication, uh, the mission of WikiLeaks has been to, you know, tell people around the world, if you have documents, if you have information that, about, that, that you think the world should know, that your government is hiding from its own people and from the world, you know, we have a place that you can send it to us and we will guard your identity. And uh, they have done that. And WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, with, under, his, under, his, under his leadership, WikiLeaks has published thousands, ten, I don't know, thousands, tens, hundreds, probably millions of pages that are online, searchable, about all the governments around the world. The United, not just the United States, but, you know, every government, Russia, Syria, British government, you know, documents that have come in and information, okay? So uh, now what, what, what made Julian Assange and WikiLeaks uh, most, vi most visible and most made him a target for the United States was the publication of the Iraqi war logs and the Afghan war logs. And the Iraqi war logs included a, a video which was called Collateral Murder, which showed the United States bombing, uh, a drone bombing two people in Iraq who ended up being uh, a reporter, a stringer, and, a, and, a, and his son. And not only bombing them, then bombing, ended up being a reporter, and then bombing a, a, a man and his son who came in a van to try and help them. So it was- And a, laughing about it too. And laughing about yeah. it, yeah. Ha, 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 let's get them, you know? And, and so it was a very shocking video that people have seen, and people- Although, you know, you don't see it very often anymore on the American and Western news, but you can see it anywhere on the, on the, on the net if you Google or look up collateral murder video. So that was the kind of thing that got the ire of the United States. Uh, then you had the situation. <clears throat> so, and Assange was well known around the world and he was, he's not American. He's an Australian. He didn't work in the United States. His, his, his business wasn't in the United States. His office weren't in the United States. His servers are not in the United States. So that's an important thing to note. So, you know, he was traveling around the world, however, and especially in Europe and giving, giving lectures, et cetera. And then an incident arose in Sweden in, uh, God, you say it's been, it's been a decade now. I think it was 2009 originally it started. I, I think, yeah. yeah. I think 2010 was when he went to the embassy. Right. 2009, he was, he was the subject of an investigation. Okay. And it's, it's a very complicated situation. And, you know, but the reality of it is, is that uh, two women with whom he had had consensual sex, uh, one of them had wanted him to be tested for, for a STD. And uh, Assange was in Sweden. And Assange went and spoke to the Swedish prosecutor. It must be said here, Assange was never actually charged with a crime. There was a preliminary investigation opened as to whether charges could be brought against him. And that investigation was pursued by the prosecutors in Sweden much further than the original, the, the two women who came had, had wanted. The one woman who just wanted to have, see if he'd get an STD test. And Assange was in Sweden. He went to the prosecutor. He interviewed with the prosecutor. He said he'd do whatever they wanted. And he said, I have, I have, a, I have uh, you know, I have to leave the country on another appointment. And they said, go right ahead. He left the country. And then he became aware that uh, again, that he said he thought that what was happening, and he claimed that what was happening, 
was that Swedes wanted him to come back to Sweden to testify some more, to give more information. They had already given information, and everybody had given all the information. By the time Julian Assange left Sweden, with the, with the blessing of the prosecutor, all the information existed. <laughs> there was no more information that ever came out, okay? So, and he said, Sweden wants to extradite me to the United States. I don't want to go back to Sweden. I will give testimony here. He was in England as the Swedish prosecutor has done many a time, uh, either tele, you know, remotely or they can come here and interview me, but I'm not going to go back to Sweden because they, they have an indictment for me in the United States and Sweden wants, wants to extradite me. So that's when he became, a, he, and he fought extradition in Britain. And then when it was, he's going to lose that fight, he went to the Ecuadorian embassy. Ecuador gave him... If gave, you don't mind, sorry, just because it, it is such a, yes. there's so many points where the coverage both at the time and anytime there's a new update has been just so one narrative. So before we, we talk about one of the other more um, big parts of the story, the going into the MC, just to break for listeners, do you have any places where people can learn more if they're interested in learning more of the details on the specific case in Sweden? Uh, well, you go to WikiLeaks or go to the Courage Foundation the case in Sweden, I have an article called Swedish Sex Pistol Aimed at Assange, uh, which goes into it and has, that's on the polemicist.net and counterpunch.org that has a lot of the information in it and links in that article you'll find. Yeah, just because I want our listeners to obviously be able yes. to do a deep dive, yes. but, was, so I appreciate that. Yeah, but, that, that, that was a, an important point because mm-hmm. really it became the headline that was put out was the word rape was used and rape investigation and rape charge and and it was a potential rape charge and swedish it's very common the swedish law and what's called rape actually there's a there's a term called minor rape in swiss you know you've got to look at swedish law and, and it's very complicated but it was used. and also oh sorry to keep cutting you off also just to our listeners we'll get into this later i don't want to like cut too much but foreshadowing has nothing to do with Yes. Why pe- why people are yeah. so concerned about the extradition and why these hearings are happening in the first place. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that if you want to continue from when he enters the embassy. Okay, so he goes in the embassy and he seeks, he gets asylum, he gets political asylum with from Ecuador, who was at the time under a, a progressive president. And uh, of course, then he's he's jumped bail, essentially, in Britain. And he stays in the embassy now for nine years i think this was nine years the swedes the swedish prosecutor was insisting that he had to come back to sweden he was saying i'll his lawyer was saying i will testify i will ask any answer any questions you can do it the way you've done it for many people before remotely or you know under the auspices of the british or you know uh, or you can guarantee me you will not send me off extradite me to the united states if i come to sweden and it was the Swedish who would not do that. Okay. So, but, but it, it let, it, it created a situation and it's very important because it was, this is what they do. They created this aura of rape around him that works for the liberals in the West it, as, you know, he must be a rapist. And, blah, blah. So, and if you look at the charges, you'll see how really, what, how phony, and even the women against rape, you know, the, the women are in charge of that. So these are phony charges that are designed to get. For for other political reasons, so for nine years or eight years he was in the in the Ecuadorian embassy. At certain points, the Swedish prosecutors wanted to actually give up on the case, and the British were telling him, "No, don't you dare do that." 
read my article, the Swedish Sex Pistol and Assange, you'll see how that went down. So he was saying, and he was right, that he was under threat of extradition to the United States, and that's what he was worried about. He would answer any of these questions. Eventually, because the Swedish courts were telling the prosecutors, get on with this, it was always a preliminary investigation. The fact that they sent out a red warrant, Interpol red warrant for him, as a someone who was under questioning for a, in a, preliminary, a preliminary investigation was itself a sign that something else was up. Eventually, the Swedish prosecutor did come to the, uh, the embassy last year and interviewed him. And of course, he gave answers to everything. And the Swedes had to then say, we, we have no charges to bring. They did not ever bring any charges of rape against Julian Assange. So at that point, so that issue was kind of put to bed, finally. All right. And I think it's important to know that, that, that it was and it was put out of the, you know, out of the off the table, mm-hmm. because I think what what, what the Western government, the United States wanted was that charge to be hanging over his head forever and never to be adjudicated. Mm-hmm. But at that point, also, the, the, the Ecuadorian government had changed. And a president who was much more sympathetic to and cooperative to and, as I would say, you know, uh, and complicit with the United States came into power. And they agreed to let the British police come in the embassy and drag Julian Assange out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during that time, uh, the Ecuadorian, the, the company, the, the Spanish company that had been hired to be a security company for the embassy was also working with the CIA and spying on Julian Assange in the embassy for the CIA. So the fact is that he was under threat of extradition and the British dragged him out immediately on the pretext of the bail jumping charge. But then immediately the United States came in and said, we have an indictment against him and we want you to extradite. So that was the, the this long, he's, he was essentially under house arrest in a small room in the embassy for nine years. And in the last couple of years, the new Swedish government restricted his activities even more. So it became a question that it was clear everybody was out to get him and Ecuador was no longer protecting him. And now, since then, for a year, he's been out of Ecuadorian embassy. He is no longer, he served any time that the bail jumping charge would have, he's way past the bail jumping charge. That's now settled and off the table. He served more, much more time than he would have uh, under the bail jumping charge. And really now he's just, the only open question legally for Julian Assange is will he be extradited to the United States to, to face trial for this indictment, which is an indictment that has 107, that puts him under uh, uh, threat of 170 years in prison. I believe 175, actually. Yes, I, oh, more than 170. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a superseding indictment that's just being brought in, and that's something that's going to complicate things come, come Monday to try the hearing on the 7th. But let's not get to that right now. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand it right now either. But the indictment that he's under for the United under the United States. So the, the the British have one question in front of them legally: Should he be indicted? Should he be extradited to the United States to stand trial for these charges? Now, in fact, and the charges are, as I say, more than 170 years in prison. They're all related to. They're essentially in going to imprison him for. Publishing the truth. One of the things that's necessary to understand is that WikiLeaks has never published anything that's been shown to be false. Okay. And they've always protected their sources. So it's kept true to those 
those essentially its mission. Mm-hmm. So it, he's under threat. The United States wants to jail him for publishing things that are true. And in fact, not just for publishing them, for, but, but for releasing them, yeah, for publishing them in, in the, in the, in the, to the public, to telling the public things that are true about the United States and about its criminal activities in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's the threat he's under right now. And even the major news organizations that want to go along with the United States government, the Guardian, the New York Times, are saying now, no, he shouldn't be. This is wrong. And they also, uh, at the time, I believe, he partnered with WikiLeaks in publishing a lot of this info yes. and then yes. went he back on supporting WikiLeaks. He, he published he published the after the uh, Iraqi war logs with the Guardian and, and the Boston Globe and Washington Post. They were his partners in publishing this, okay? And, you know, nobody, it's kind of impossible to claim he's in any different position than they are. If he can be brought to trial on these charges for espionage, for publishing true information, so can the Washington Post and the British Guardian. And again, what's important to recognize is is the United States demanding of Britain that they arrest and send to, to the United States a citizen of a third country, Australia, <laughs> someone who's never worked in the United States, someone who did nothing in the United States. So it's the United States kind of demanding extra tor- t- extraterritorial authority and that its laws should not only extend all around the world, but, sh- but should be enforced by third governments. So the British government doing this is, is doing something which, you know, in terms of ostensible constraints on, on, on Britain, which is supposed to not be sending people uh, to be tried for political charges, would be doing that, would be charging with crime, extraditing for political charges. And it would be setting an example and a precedent that could be used against any journalist in the world. You've got to, this is like the Chinese government saying to the French government, you have to arrest this German citizen who published things about that were true about our government in Europe, uh, in, in England, and, and, and in the United States. And it, it's, you know, we don't like that. And we want to put them in jail for 170 years. So you have to arrest them and send them to us. <laughs> you know, this is the laws of the United States under any circumstance, you know, don't have to be enforced by everybody else in the world. And especially when is this esp- using the Espionage Act for the first time, really, which they tried to do with, with Daniel Ellsberg, who is supporting. Uh, and uh, and I think worth pointing out that the Espionage Act was literally created to limit free speech during wartime. World uh, War I, yes. Yeah. It was created uh, against people like Eugene Debs during World War I to limit, limit free speech. And it, it, it is the case that, that this grand jury in Washington lasted, uh, that was dealing with the Assange matter, at least one, there were probably a number, lasted through the Obama administration and into the Trump administration. And the Obama administration decided, at least ostensibly, the story is now decided not to bring charges against Assange because of the, the risk of this precedent, but the Trump administration did. Although we don't really know to what extent that that secret indictment was lying around, ready to be used by by anybody. I mean, I do believe uh, Obama prosecuted more whistleblowers yes. than any other president. So there's yes. that's worth yes. noting. Yes, this is um, another example of the Trump administration going that one step further and using you know create you know. Taking to the limit the, the 
the precedents that were set by previous Democratic and Republican administrations. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, this is really, from my point of view, it's just, it's incredible to, because I say now, you know, although the American press, the Washington Post, the New York Times, when Assange was first, when the indictment first came out, they were kind of like, oh, this is okay. This is good because he's not really being indicted for publishing. He's being indicted for, they said it was hacking, for trying to help Chelsea Manning, who was his source for the Afghan war logs, break into the computers. But that's not true. Uh, Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks, did not help Chelsea Manning break into the computers. Chelsea Manning had legitimate access of her own into the computers and had gotten the files out before she even had talked to WikiLeaks. She had tried to call the Washington Post and give them to Washington Post. And so WikiLeaks had nothing to do with Chelsea Manning getting the, extracting those files from the computers. Chelsea Manning had passwords and access of her own that she used to do that. And, and what, what the, the one little element they're claiming is that this Assange discussed with her how to cover her tracks, which was again, what any journalist would do for anyone who was their source, giving them uh, class, classified information that the government wanted to, uh, to hide. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I also believe they don't actually have proof that it was Assange. Uh, uh, I could be wrong, but I think the chat logs they're going off of were an anonymous WikiLeaks person who, who they're saying very likely was Assange. Is that correct? Or uh, you mean you mean Manning? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think Chelsea Manning has admitted that she mm-hmm. was the the source of these these documents. So I don't think that's unless I'm wrong. I think that's no. no oh, so, sorry to clarify. What I was saying is. She did. She was the source, but she the per, the person uh, from WikiLeaks who helped her uh, protect her identity uh, and oh, publish I them. See. I don't believe I could be wrong, but I don't believe they actually have even proved that that person oh. was Assange. Oh, that's a good point. I'm actually not sure of that. I actually hadn't even thought of that, but you you may be right because w- WikiLeaks is not just Julian Assange. And yeah, there are many things about WikiLeaks. Uh, and who, people who act in the name of WikiLeaks who aren't Julian Assange. And that's true. And that brings me I, to go into another point, which also has been, has helped to keep the, the liberals in the, in the West away from supporting Assange, which was this, his supposed activities during the 2016 election. Uh, because as I say, you know, this is something that, that, that anybody who claims to be worried about free speech and freedom of the press, you know, and the organizations and media organizations who worry about this with any dissident in any country that's disfavored by the United States. Oh my gosh, they're trying to put this person in jail or they're not allowing them to, to, to publish. You know, this is an example that is going to, it's already, you've got to think about what it means. If you're a journalist and you watch the images of Julian Assange being dragged out of the embassy, in Ecuador, and you're in Britain or the United States and saying, am I going to do what he, am I going to publish the things that he published? Uh, you know, and if he worked for the United States, I don't think anybody who understands the United States justice system and what it does to people like this can think that Julian Assange is not going to go to jail for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, talk to John Kiriakou, who was the only person who was arrested and convicted over the issue of torture in, in Iraq. John Kiriakou was a CIA agent who was arrested and convicted 
because he confirmed certain information, I think, it was exactly what he did. He didn't actually give it, but he confirmed certain information to a New York Times source about American torture in Iraq. And none of the people who did the torture or, or who covered it up were, were, were arrested and convicted. Only John Kiriakou was arrested and convicted. And he says about Assange, Assange does not, in the Southern District of New York, of, of Virginia, in the, in the Virginia, uh, the court where Assange would be tried, where he was tried, there was not, a, there was no chance that he would get a fair trial. Uh, you know, he went through the situation where he was forced to plead guilty to something because uh, they wouldn't allow him to bring certain defenses in. They wouldn't allow him to bring certain evidence in. You cannot bring a public public interest defense. You cannot say in the trial, I did uh, release this information, but it was in the public's interest to release it. It was for the sake of something to hide, to demonstrate a crime, to make the public aware of a crime that had happened in their name. So. These are things that cannot be used as defensive. So anybody who claims to be serious about freedom of the press, or freedom of speech, should be outraged by this. And we should have been hearing from the New York Times and the Washington Post. We should hear about this every day, every week. You know, the CNN should have this. You know, every, how much time has been spent on, on Russiagate and impeachment for four years? And how much time, as you say, I'm sure many people listening to this haven't heard much about it at all and aren't very well aware of it. Because it's just kept hidden. But mm -hmm. once this happens, if Julian Assange is extradited to the United States, he will end up in jail for the rest of his life. And every correspondent in the world, every newspaper person, every publisher, everybody who's doing investigative journalism will say, do I want that to happen to me? Because they will be under the threat of it happening to them if they do that. And I'm talking about people, not just Americans, don't forget. This is people, Australians, like an Australian citizen. A British citizen who wants to publish something about the United States committing a war crime will say, Oh, can I, can I do this? Can I really put myself under the threat of going to jail for the rest of my life? Because my government is going to send me to the United States to be thrown in jail. It's really kind of crazy. We should be outraged by this and the media should be outraged by this. And it demonstrates something about what the media are and are not that they're not outraged by this, that they're not letting people know about it all the time and bringing the public's attention to it. And excuse me, that's one of the situations we're in now. I, I actually do want to talk about um, sort of two points. I think one I'll start with is we've, we uh, on the show constantly talk about why, you know, mainstream media, why cable news, why a lot of legacy papers won't usually really, really question U.S. actions, especially with foreign policy. But one area where I have been, I'll admit shocked, is the amount of even independent media that I think has been either silent or just not treating this as big of a story as, you know, probably should be. I'm wondering what your take is on disregarding, uh, obviously, the the outlets that would be motivated by profit and just looking at independent outlets. Why do you think a lot of them uh, may be hesitant to cover this or just not think to cover it? Well, again, there are two reasons. It's a very good point. It's a very good question. Not just the liberal, but the real left or, you know, left of liberal media uh, for nine years, 10 years, did not want to touch Assange and did not want to defend Assange in the, to the extent that they should have. Number one reason was the rape allegation. Okay. And they didn't want to go near it. <laughs> okay. And, the, you know, the powers that be know what they're doing when they bring these allegations. And that was hanging over his head and, and unresolved and was, was 
It was thought by almost everybody that he was charged with rape, which he wasn't. And, and, but there was an open preliminary investigation that was allowed to go on. And the Swedish prosecutor did that deliberately. As I said, I think they would have liked that to still be open <laughs> because, you know, that kept the, 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 the idea that Julian Assange was a rapist. He kept defending rapists. So that was out there for a long time. And that kept the leftish media away from the defense of Assange that they should have, should have given. Okay. And the second thing is what I was about to say that, you know, the 2016 election where there has been uh, the allegation that WikiLeaks was working hand in hand with the Trump administration, you know, to help Trump get elected. Okay. And Roger Stone and all this. Okay. And what, again, what most people don't know, but you know, is the case is that Roger Stone, who claimed to be to the, he did claim to the Trump campaign that he was some kind of conduit for WikiLeaks, was no such thing. And his, his conviction for lying was over the fact that he was lying about that, that he was claiming to be a conduit for WikiLeaks and a representative of WikiLeaks when he was not. And, you know, people should go to Randy Credico. Uh, who's, uh, who was, knows Roger Stone and was, was in fact the guy that Stone claimed was the conduit for him to WikiLeaks and he wasn't, <laughs> you know? And so that was one of the things. Again, WikiLeaks became hated for helping, uh, helping the Trump campaign. Now there were emails back and forth between WikiLeaks and people in the Trump campaign, Don Jr., I think, because WikiLeaks would take uh, information that they got that's true and we don't know who exactly was sending those emails and tweets. Uh, as you say, it wasn't Julian Assange. Um, but, uh, 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 you know, WikiLeaks will take information from anybody who gives it to them. Uh, and WikiLeaks also, Julian Assange did not like Hillary Clinton because Hillary Clinton had said, why can't we just drone bomb this guy? Why can't we just assassinate Assange? So there was bad blood between them. But so that was the other thing that's kept leftish media for a long time away from Julian Assange. Anybody, you know, it, it, what, he, he, he's a rapist and he helped the Trump campaign. So those are the, those are the items I think that kept the left, kind of left of center media in general away from him. And very few people wanted to, uh, go to his defense as on the grounds that were the only grounds that were relevant, which was this is a publisher of truthful information being under threat of prosecution and life imprisonment, essentially, for telling people the truth about American war crimes. The other stuff was all window dressing that was set up and promoted and still is promoted a lot, uh, you know, about what WikiLeaks is, what either Julian Assange was doing with uh, these women in Sweden or what WikiLeaks was doing with the Trump campaign in 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh well, now we are sort of heading into what seems like one of the, the deciding points. Will he be extradited? Uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot of work that, it, assuming he does get extradited, uh, will need to take place. But, you know, ideally, what can people do to stop this extradition and really end the, the attacks on him? Where can people now step up to support him in WikiLeaks? Well, I think, yeah, it is, it, it's, look, there's a, there's a hearing on Monday, on, on September 7th. Not, it's not a holiday in Britain, which is going to be a crucial hearing. And it, it is the case that we have to face the fact that it's unlikely 
that unless there's a lot of popular pressure, the only thing that I can think I think of that can stop Assange from being extradited is a lot of popular pressure, which has to be exerted immediately. Okay, it has to be exerted on the ground in London and here as much as possible. Okay, so what I think what I encourage people to do is first of all go educate oneself about this. You know, go to Courage Fund org and go to uh, wikileaks.org and you know look into this and find out about it look at my articles uh, on assange on the and find as many sources as you can go to nyc free assange on, uh, on fa- facebook and you can find a number of assange organizations defending assange on facebook and twitter find out about it educate yourself about it and secondly go to de- any demonstrations that you can go to i know you know and try and find demonstrations and teachings and things that you can go to and participate in Write letters to you, you know, whatever good that will do. You know, exert as much pressure as you can on your congresspeople and on on the media to cover this and to express the outrage that they should be expressing about this. Challenge, you know, if you have reporters in your neighborhood or in your town who are covering other issues, challenge them. Why aren't you talking about this? This is a threat to free freedom of expression and freedom of the press throughout the world. You know, and... uh, I would love to, and you know, the, if you go to NYC Free Assange, you, you'll, you'll see uh, ways that you can contact the, the British authorities. You know, realistically, I don't think that Britain is going to challenge the United States enough to with, withhold extradition. I, I would hope that they would, but his, the judge in his case has been completely biased toward, against him and towards the United States. There are actually American intelligence officials at the hearing who sit there and have given directions to the British prosecution. You know, uh, and if he comes to the United States, we have to be able to raise hell here. We've got to raise hell. The only way these things, you can see it, look around you. (laughs) What's happened in the past few months about police brutality and racism. And, you know, the only way there's a possibility of stopping the powers that have power from doing whatever the hell they want to do is to raise hell about it and to make it cost them more than they might be willing to pay for this one little thing. Okay, so I, I, I just suggest that people prepare themselves to fight over this in whatever way they can. We're going to need people in the streets if he comes to the United States. And we need people in the streets in London. Of course, we can't be in London, but we need to support them. And we need to have a presence, start having a presence that's visible that the media cannot ignore. Well, Jim Cavanaugh, thank you so much for being on the show uh, and for all of your efforts to raise awareness and support for Assange. I really appreciate all of that. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. I appreciate being able to talk about it. And uh, I appreciate that you're giving a forum to these kinds of discussions. Of course. That was our interview with Jim Cavanaugh. This has been the show. We hope to do another episode soon with more recent reporting on how the hearings have been going because there's so much to cover there. However, until that comes out, we will be using our social media platforms to highlight the work of other people who are more consistently reporting on Assange. So we hope that you will follow us at News Dive Radio on Twitter and Instagram. Again, all of our episodes are available through anchor.fm slash newsdive or by following News Dive on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. I'd like to close out this episode with some audio from NYC Free Assange's press conference on Tuesday, September 8th, 
which took place outside of the UK consulate in New York City. These are just a few select sound bites from some of the speakers. If you want to watch the full press conference, that is available on our Instagram page at Newsdive Radio through Instagram TV. Uh, we encourage you to check that out. It was a great event, and there were a lot of great speakers. This has been Newsdive. That there isn't journalism left. What there is is, uh, you know, corporate advertising using people who appear to be journalists. But the few journalists that are left and out there independent are taking stands. They decide whoever owns the press is going to decide what's going to be a story and what's not going to be a story. You can reach out to them, which Chuck did, uh, for this very important event, which involves their, their profession, journalism, uh, and yet they've decided that this is not going to be covered, and then they just won't cover it. You, as a historian who's written extensively on the case of the most persecuted journalist of the 18th century, John Paul Marat, I'm in a position to make historical comparisons, and in my judgment, Julian Assange is both the most unjustly persecuted journalist of the 21st century and arguably the most important journalist of the 21st century. If you deliver Julian Assange into the hands of torturers, history will not look kindly on Great Britain for that. So I join together today with human rights advocates and advocates of journalistic freedom around the world. I stand with the Committee to Protect Journalists, which declared, for the sake of press freedom, Julian Assange must be defended. I stand with the Center for Constitutional Rights, which said that the attempt to prosecute Julian Assange is a worrying step on the slippery slope to punishing any journalist the Trump administration chooses to deride as fake news. A century ago, a U.S. Senator, Hiram Johnson, said the first casualty of war is truth. And never has it been more apparent than what we see happening in the case of Julian Assange and the war on journalism. Some years ago, the CIA and the guardians of this U.S. empire came to understand that they can't be reactive in fighting the response and the resistance of peoples around the world, in the U.S., in the neo-colonies. They have to be proactive. And so they determined that they had to really control the people, not with billy clubs and guns and tear gas, but with information, with calculating their diet of information. And hence, they hatched programs like Operation Mockingbird, where they would plant stories in the press, in the media, to basically confuse and mislead people. Well, that process which began 60, 70 years ago after the Second World War has now metastasized into the world we see today. Power to the people! Power to the people! We are the truth seekers, revolutionaries, and we are idealists as well as realists.
as Che Guevara reminded us. We are here today and I am very proud as a black revolutionary activist to stand here in defense of Julian Assange to correct that false impression that he is not embraced by the least in all of us in every black community in this country because we realize fundamentally that our fate and that of another world that is possible is tied up in the defense of Julian Assange. People in the U.S. should feel shamefaced at what is done in their name and grateful to truth tellers like Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning. They tore the mask off of the imperialism in Iraq, Afghanistan, and Guantanamo Bay.